My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm Shane. I get to be one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to continue in this teaching series. We're walking through the book of Acts. We just got started with that last week with Pastor James. We're calling it Witnesses. And, and, this, and walking through this book, and it reminded me of being a part of the church, because that's really what this book of Acts is all about, is the birthing of the church of Jesus Christ, and all down through the ages, all the way down to where we are today. And it caused me also to reflect on uh, on my church background, because when I was growing up, when I was a young, young child growing up in my family, our family had the weekly practice of attending church. It was a habit that we had. We were pretty much there every Sunday. And back in those days, they didn't have children's church, and so I sat with my family uh, here in a place something like this. And you know what? Just to be honest, it wasn't one of my favorite family practices. You know, sure, the singing of the songs, that was pretty interesting. I enjoyed that. But then this guy would get up front, and he would talk forever, you know, droning on and on about I don't know what. And, and so I'd sit there as long as I could, but inevitably, I mean, I was an energetic young boy, so inevitably I'd start squirming around, and, and then I'd earn a, a stern look from my mom or my dad or both, right? And then inevitably, my dad would put his arm on the back of the pew. And if you grew up in church, you remember those, but... Why were they called pews, by the way? You know, as a young boy, I tried to understand it, but the only ideas that came to my mind for a pew weren't appropriate to talk about, so I never did learn about why they called them pews. But if you know, please tell me afterwards. But anyway, my dad put his arm up on the pew, and then he'd set his hand gently on my neck, and then he'd begin to squeeze until I stopped squirming. And so then I'd basically sit there as still as I could, pondering the nature of eternity, but also anticipating and hoping that, that my favorite part of that worship gathering would happen. It didn't happen every Sunday, and we didn't know when it would happen. But at some point, sometimes, somebody would stand up, and they would do what was called speaking in tongues. It was, so they'd, they'd have these utterances that were, they were not in English. They were unintelligible, and they'd talk for a couple of minutes, and they'd sit down. And then we'd wait with anticipation. Because then somebody else would stand up, and they'd give an interpretation for what was just said. A message from God. I loved it. It was, it was fascinating. And for a young boy, it was also entertaining. But before the summer, before my, my sixth grade year, we, we moved to a new city and we began attending a different kind of church that didn't practice that as, normal sun, as in a normal Sunday gatherings. And, and so all basically what that meant is all through my teen years, I had to find some other means of surviving those long, boring sermons. Which is, I hope you guys hearing the irony in this based on where I am standing right now, doing what I am doing. But I'm not boring, right? Not boring. Help me out here. Help me out here. My ego is depending on this right now. <laughs> 
Well, somewhere along the way, I learned about the differences between churches, and what I learned was that that church that I attended as a young child was under the label of Pentecostal, and that that word Pentecostal came from the passage that we are going to look at today in Acts chapter 2. And I share that story because maybe you're like me and you have a history of the words we're going to talk about today, Pentecost, you know, speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit, or maybe on your church tradition, the Holy Ghost. And we have a history with these words. Now, for some of us, we have a, these are pleasant memories, good memories that we have for other of us, others of us, maybe not so good. Or there may be a few in the room as well that you're saying, I don't even know anything that you're talking about. But for whatever you walked in the room with, I'd love for us to take a look at this next story that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 2 and kind of get rid of any preconceptions that we have, kind of clear our minds so that we can look at the story with fresh eyes. Can we do that? Let's, would you pray with me and we'll get going. Our Father in heaven, I sure love you. Thank you for sending your son and then thank you for sending your spirit to fulfill the promise, the number one promise you have for us in the scriptures, and that is that you are with us. You're with us here right now. And so, Spirit of God, would you be our teacher? No matter what I say this evening, would you teach me and would you teach us from your word that you gave us, these scriptures? We pray believing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, Pastor James taught from Acts chapter 1, and he talked about the leadership handoff and how Jesus handed the baton of leadership to those first disciples, and he entrusted them with the task of being his witnesses locally in the Jerusalem at the time, regionally, Judea, Samaria, and then globally to the ends of the earth. They were to be their witnesses. But before that, they were to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. So that's where we left off, and we're going to begin here in chapter 2 to see what happens next in the story. And so in verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And so here we encounter this word, Pentecost, and we need to understand what that is. Well, Pentecost was simply a Jewish festival. It was one of the three foundational Jewish celebrations that were built into their annual calendar. They had Passover in the spring— Feast of Tabernacles in the fall, and then the Feast of Pentecost came in between. In the history of Israel, this feast was known by different names. In Exodus 23, it was called the Feast of the Harvest. In Exodus 34, it was called the Feast of Weeks. This name Pentecost came after Greek culture and Greek language came to dominate that part of the word. Because Pentecost, all that is, is Greek for 50th, 5-0. Because the, this feast came on the 50th day after Passover. And originally it was set up to celebrate the harvest because Israel was, was an agrarian culture. But over time it came to be a celebration of Moses bringing the law to the people of Israel after he rescued them from the nation of Egypt. That's what this festival is going on. So that was, that was the time period. That was, Pentecost is the festival that was going on when all this was happening. Okay, so verse 2. Let's see what happened. It says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. A sound like a mighty windstorm. 
Other English translations say a mighty rushing wind. Others, the blowing of a violent wind. But no matter what, you get this picture. And, and if maybe if you don't have a good picture, if anybody who grew up in the Midwest or the South or anywhere in Tornado Alley, or maybe you've been experienced a hurricane like I did one year when I was in a conference in New Orleans. Okay, for you, it doesn't need much of imagination. But if you haven't ever been through something like that, basically just imagine a train going through your bedroom. Okay, that would be what that's like, the sound of a mighty wind. Notice it doesn't say it was a mighty windstorm. It sounded like a mighty windstorm. And notice also it wasn't some kind of internal psychological experience. They all heard it. They all experienced something outside themselves. Not only outside themselves, but literally outside the entire earth. It said it came from heaven. Then in verse 3, we see this. What then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. Can we stop for a moment and just think about how fantastical that all was? If you're like me and maybe you grew up around church, maybe you've heard this story before. It's, it's so easy for stories like this, listen in the Bible, to become like those teachers in the old Charlie Brown cartoons. You remember those? Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, whatever's going on, right? But no, put yourself in this story. Imagine yourself in the room. You're there with 120 of your closest friends. You're hanging out. You're praying. You're taking care of some business. And then you're waiting for this Holy Spirit, whatever Jesus meant by that. You don't know what it's going to be. You don't know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And then, basically, a tornado, kind of the sound of a tornado just comes in. Sounds like it's going to rip the, the whole room apart. And then these, this fire descends on everybody in the room. I mean, I don't know about you, but if that happened in the room right now, I would lose my mind. In addition, we have a disadvantage here in, in our time because, I don't know about you, but if, if, if I, I, I didn't hear any stories like this, sound of wind and fire happening in my family history. My grandfather never told me about that, that his grandfather never had experience like that. But for a good jo- Jewish boy or girl living in this time, they would have, they would have They would have dozens of stories in their family history about God showing up and wind and fire being involved. I could mention a number of examples because we have them in our Old Testament, Uh, but just a couple examples. The book of Exodus describes God's presence going with the people of Israel. During the day, it was a pillar of, of a cloud, and at night, it was a pillar of fire, God's presence represented by fire. Also, you think of when God rescued the people of Israel through the Red Sea. It says the wind of God came and blew the sea open and created dry land. Wind, fire, presence of God. In 2 Chronicles 7, Solomon has finished the temple to God and and they're worshiping and they're going to invite God to dedicate the temple. And and after after King Solomon prayed and, and when he said amen, fire came down from the heavens and consumed the sacrifice. And it said the glory of the Lord came in and filled the temple, the presence of God, wind, fire. But two, those are but two examples. You could read all through the Old Testament and there's this unique connection between the presence of God and wind, and fire. So put yourself in the house. You're a good Jewish man, a good Jewish woman, and you know these stories, and you're experiencing this, and you know God's presence has come near and alive. You're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're experiencing it. You know that it means God has come in a fresh, new way. And this is what it means, we see in verse 4. 
He says, everyone present was then filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, here's where our church history can cause us to miss the primary thrust of this story. You see, the New Living Translation, which is what we use here on Sundays at sunrise, it kind of hides the controversy with this term language. It's the translation here from the Greek word glossia. The Greek word glossia, actually a direct translation, is tongues. Tongue. In fact, it was used in verse 3 to talk about tongues of fire, right? So it's actually the same word. But they spoke in other tongues, Now, in certain types of churches, like the one my family attended when I was a young boy, this story is then linked to some teaching from Paul to the Corinthians that also talks about speaking in tongues. Now, I don't have time this morning to talk about what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians, but then again, I don't need to. There's absolutely no link between the two at all. They're talking about different things. And in fact, if we, if we try to link the two, we actually miss the primary thrust that's going on here. By linking them, we distort and distract what the Holy Spirit is actually doing then and what the Holy Spirit does with us. The most important part of this story comes at the end of verse 4, where it says the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And we should then ask, for what purpose did the Holy Spirit give them the ability. And that's the theme of our walk through Acts. It's to be a witness. It's to be a witness. We see this in the subsequent verses about why they needed to speak in other languages. Because in verse 5 we see, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Why were they living in Jerusalem? Because it's Pentecost, one of the festivals of the Jewish people. People from all over the known world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And they would live there. In fact, in Jerusalem, the population would about quadruple during these feasts. So they were all there. They were all speaking their own languages. And so now these people, they heard the loud noise. And so this mighty rushing wind, the sound of that was not just in the room. It was actually in the entire city. And it caused people to to draw attention to and to come running. And they were bewildered. Why? Not because of the loud noise, but because... They were hearing their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They're dumbstruck. Why? Because these people are all from Galilee, this kind of backwater part of Israel there. They're like, they don't speak our language. They're not from where we're from. And we hear them speaking in our native languages. Do you hear this repetition of our native language, our native language, our native language? How can this be? They're doing it. The, the people were doing it so they could be witnesses. This would be like if I went to India right now and I got on a train and I sat next to a man who only spoke Hindi and God gave me the miraculous ability to speak Hindi so that I could speak to this man about God's great love for him. That's what the, why the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This isn't about speaking something unintelligible that needs translation. This isn't about a private prayer language. In this story, it's about speaking known languages for the purpose Jesus had given them back in chapter 1, to be his witnesses. And then just to be sure, the author Luke then lists specifically where, where everybody came from. And I want to put a map up on the screen while I read this so you can see what it looks like. Verse 9, it says, here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, 
people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs. And then he says this, all, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Or a more direct translation would be about God's mighty works. Now remember what they're going on here. They're at Pentecost. Pentecost, they're remembering God, specifically God rescuing the people from Egypt through all these miracles, these mighty works, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and all these things, the defeating of the armies of Egypt, God's mighty works. And now these believers were saying, that same God behind all of that, by the way, he came in human form. He lived the life you and I know we should live but can't. He died the death we deserve. He died in our place. He rose from the dead, conquering sin. You can have life in his name. That mighty works is now what they're sharing. And they get two different reactions that we see in verses 12 and 13. Two different reactions. Some stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They're still asking each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Two different reactions to witnesses. And when we are witnesses, we can expect to, to hear similar reactions. Some will be interested, even amazed. Others will mock and, and just give us derision. Now, in particular, this, this phrase here, that comparison, that they're just drunk, I think this is fascinating for us to pay attention to. Because there's a link between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. In fact, Paul made this link in the book of Ephesians. You may be familiar with it, where he says this. He says, do not be drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We can know by this phrase, and we can know by Acts chapter 2, that somehow being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk. In other ways, just to be clear, it's not like being drunk. But in some way, it's like being drunk. And I think we can understand it this way, that being filled with the Spirit is it's similar because an outside agent, if you will, is affecting our choices and actions. And specifically, the, the filling of the Spirit causes a sense of exuberant fearlessness. Exuberant fearlessness. There's a sense of joy that cannot be contained, and it leads to a sense of, of, of fearlessness. Here in Acts chapter 2, these ones were experiencing the fullness of the Spirit, and they were speaking of God's mighty works without any inhibition. They were too happy to care what people might think. They were too happy to be afraid of anything. And when you see someone who acts like that with exuberant fearlessness, maybe your first reaction might be, <laughs> they're drunk. Because alcohol does something similar. It takes away inhibitions. So being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk because the presence of God becomes a fiery reality inside that makes you so joyful, you're fearless in being his witness. But the Holy Spirit does it in a different way that alcohol does it. That's what Paul means when he says, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And you may ask why, and those with a medical background may know it's because alcohol is a depressant. Not that it makes you depressed, but that it actually depresses your brain. It, it actually inhibits your brain functioning. The reason you're happy when you're drunk is because you are less aware of reality. The things that bother you when you are fully aware of a, of a reality don't bother you because you can't even think straight. That's what alcohol does. 
The Holy Spirit gives you happiness, not because it makes you less aware of reality, but because he makes you more aware of reality. The Holy Spirit gives you happiness, happiness through intelligence, not through stupidity. The Spirit says, the only one whose opinion really matters, the only one is the same one who loves you to the stars and back, who will do anything for you, who has done everything for you and will never let you go. When you know that one, you can't help but be filled with this joy and to overflow into the world around you. That's what they experienced on that first day of Pentecost. That's what we can experience today when we live in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, having walked through that story, I could talk about a lot of different things in there. But for the sake of us as a church and where we are as a church, I wanted to focus on two things in particular. The first is this. It says, being filled with the Spirit means having divine power come into you from outside of you. And I hope you heard this as we went through the story. Because this isn't some kind of emotional or psychological experience that arises from within. I want to emphasize this because it stands in contrast to what our culture teaches us. Our culture tells us constantly, our problems are from outside of us. Our problems come from things like social prejudice dysfunctional family relationships, political or economic corruption. Our problems are out there, but don't worry, don't worry. You have in you what it takes to overcome those problems. That's what our culture tells us. The Bible says the opposite. The Bible says, no, our problems are inside of us. And and in fact, what the fundamental problem is, is that we are fundamentally self-centered, We're so self-centered, we don't even know that we're self-centered. We operate as if we, I, am the center of the universe. And we have so many problems in the world because basically we have a whole lot of centers of the universe running around bumping into each other, right? I'm the center of the universe. No, I'm the center of the universe. You You should revolve around me. No, you should revolve around me. That doesn't work that way. The Bible tells us that our problems come from within us and help can come from without, outside of us. As many of you know, I'm in graduate school training right now towards a degree in mental health counseling. And one thing that in the industry of mental health counseling, we've seen a shift over the last several years of when people come in. Fewer and fewer people are coming in asking for help, saying, I need help changing. No, people are coming in saying, I need help changing the other people in my life. I need help changing the circumstances in my life. But do you see how hopeless that is? If your life has to be better only by things that are out of your control changing, what hope do you have? But if your problems are in here, look at this story. Hope is available because there's one who loves you more than you know, who promises through the person and work of Jesus to come in and begin transforming you from the inside out so that you can overcome any obstacle that is in your path. Now that is one that is full of hope there. That's what Acts chapter 2 gives us that kind of hope because that is an exuberant fearlessness that comes from the wonder, the sense of wonder over God's work. So being filled with the Spirit means having divine power come into you from outside of you. The second thing I want to highlight from this story is this. The Holy Spirit renews every culture, honors every culture, and creates a church that includes every culture. Pay attention to this story. This story is the first time The gospel is preached to the world. 
Next week, we'll hear about the actual gospel message that Peter preaches. But, every, but these, these disciples, for the first time, are proclaiming the gospel, and they're doing it in every known language at the same time. Think about that. The first time it's preached, think about the fact that language is the carrier of culture. It's the only way we know language, through culture is through language. So this tells us, because the Pentecost tells us, is that no culture takes precedence over any other culture with the gospel. Because of Pentecost, Christianity is the most culturally diverse religion on the face of the earth. Because of Pentecost, Christianity has no language or culture that's the right culture. Instead, Christianity, through the gospel, renews every culture while at the same time honoring every culture. Whether you're Chinese or African or European or Mexican or Indian or American or any other cultural background, when you become a Christian, what the gospel first does is it takes a little bit of your culture out of you. It critiques the culture because no matter your culture, the gospel gives you a new identity. And then what it does is it helps you see the excesses, the imbalances, the God substitutes that are in every culture that's not where it stops. It then honors your culture so that if you're an African and you become a Christian, you don't become a European. You become an African Christian, just like there are Vietnamese Christians and Latino Christians and American Christians. Acts 2 affirms that no one of us can take our cultural approach and call it real Christianity. So this is true of every aspect of what makes up a culture. Think about it our way of relating, our music preferences, our dress, our level of emotional expressiveness or lack thereof, our different ways of making decisions, our different understandings of social power, different approaches to time and punctuality and what it means to use time wisely. My friends, we need cultural humility when it comes to being the church. I mean, think about it. I hope that when you walk in the doors and you come in here to worship, that every now and then, hopefully every week, but at least every now and then, you look up in the lobby and you see the banners hanging there, and it's the discipleship pathway that Michael talked about earlier. Connect, grow, serve, lead. But if you look up, you see them in a number of different languages. Did you know that all those languages are spoken by somebody who's a part of Sunrise? They're here. Those are languages that are spoken here. In fact, if we had everybody that is Sunrise in this room at the same time and we asked them to speak in their native languages, their native tongues, we would have a mini Pentecost moment right here. The church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, maintains a sense of unity and diversity, and that's worth celebrating, even as we recognize that that also brings difficulty, unity and diversity. Because we all have preferences, we all have expectations, and sometimes they collide. But sometimes they also inform, and we need that as well. That is fruitful and rich. Now, instead of me just talking up here about this, I I wanted you to hear from somebody who's a different culture than I am, and a different culture than many of us here. And so, Ifoma Muoto, I'm going to invite her to come up here and talk about it from her perspective. And so, help me welcome Ifoma.
Now, she may, need, may not need a, an introduction to a lot of you as far as at least you recognize her because she's often up here on the stage. She helps lead musical worship here on a number of Sundays. Uh, not used to being down here on this stage, bright lights, you know, and all that, but welcome. Glad you could talk to us today. Uh, so just for those that don't know you, how long have you and your family been a part of Sunrise? Uh, my family, my Be good? Family. We're good. Green mic. Nope, white mic. Do we got the white mic? Okay. No. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there it is. Um, well, good evening. Uh, my family has been a part of Sunrise since 2012, so seven years. I've got seven years. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And you're not from Oregon originally? No. No. Okay. So can you give us kind of an outline of where you've lived over the course of your lifetime? I'm sure. So my family is from Nigeria, and that's in West Africa. I was born there, lived the most of my life there. I moved to the U.S. in 2008. My husband came maybe about a a year or so earlier. We lived in Connecticut for about four and a half years. We were both grad students there. And then we moved to Portland in 2012. That was thanks to Intel. Thank you, My husband joined Intel. And we lived here between 2015 and 2017. We moved to Los Angeles and spent More graduate school. Yeah, more school. (laughs) And then came back in 2017, and we've been here since. Excellent. Okay, so a lot of different parts of this country as well as from from another country as well. And been a part of church in a lot of those different places. And Mm -hmm. so help us understand, especially upbringing in Nigeria, you know, how is it similar and different, church in Nigeria versus what we have here at Sunrise? Okay. Um, I think the first thing that is similar is is the same gospel. Mm -hmm. I was born into a Christian family, and I have heard this gospel for as long as I can remember. And when I was back in Nigeria, and even here in the States, and I ultimately responded to that gospel in 1996, but it really is the same gospel. All have sinned. Mm -hmm. Jesus saves. You know, there is hope in Christ. And it's amazing when I think of the different languages that I've heard that gospel being preached, the effect is the same. Mm -hmm. You see people responding, you see lives transformed. So that's definitely something that is the same. Mm. Um, Something else is the scriptures. So like I said, from a Christian background, I've been taught from the same scriptures. Different styles of teaching, (laughs) different presentations, and the applications have also differed based on the context or where I've lived, but it's the same scripture and the same spirit. Something that is different. Different. <laughs> <laughs> I think any Christian Nigerian, especially folks from a Pentecostal background like myself, the first, if they were to walk into Sunrise, um, the first thing that would be different is our worship style. I'm going to borrow a term that you use this evening, and we tend to be very exuberant <laughs> <laughs> when we worship. We're very loud. We sing a lot, we dance, we clap, we lift our hands, we kneel, just very expressive. You know, the thought is, you know, I'm going to give God the praise I think he deserves, and I don't really care what other people think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think um, Nigerians by nature are a loud bunch, Mm. and we tend to bring that into church with us. Um, The picture actually on the left side, that's my younger sister who is somewhere in the audience there. And she, that's her worship team in her church in Nigeria. So it's very lively and it's an amazing experience. And, and not just up front where they are either. And no, <laughs> no. No, the entire church is. <laughs> I tell you, there's more chaos in the congregation <laughs> happening. <laughs> 
That's excellent. That gives a great glimpse into some of the different cultures and how that impacts what, what we do as church while still centered and united on the gospel. I love that. And so just curious, what would, you, what would you say you miss most about your Nigerian church experience? Um, one thing that I really miss that we do a lot in Nigeria is we spend a lot of time in corporate prayer. Mm. So whether it's during a Sunday service like this or in some churches, it would be a midweek service or sometimes like a monthly all-night prayer. You know, people would come at 9, 10 p.m. and they would just pray till like 5 a.m. And the highlight, you know, of the year in many churches is actually stepping into the new year in prayer Mm. as a church. So we do a lot of corporate prayer and that I miss quite a bit, yeah. Wow. You're not watching the ball drop then. Well, now I do. (laughs) (laughs) And what would you say, just what what do you like about being a part of Sunrise? Well, there are many things I love about being a part of Sunrise. Um, What I really love about Sunrise is how we serve. I mean, I've heard of service all my life, and everybody likes the idea of serving and talks about it. But I love the fact that we actually do that in Sunrise. I love the fact that our leaders model service. And a quick example was the Phil Wickham concert happened I don't know, a few, a few weeks, weeks ago, yeah. ago, and my family went, and we had parked our car in a different location from where the concert was happening. And you know, we got out of the concert, and we could have had to walk to where we parked our car. And there was uh, Pastor Kevin Howard, our executive pastor, and he was driving the shuttle like back and forth. And he gave my family a ride from the concert that we had just enjoyed all the way to our car. And it just left such a strong impression in my heart. I'm like, wow, this is my leader. And that he would serve my family in that way just meant so much to me. So I love the way we serve. I love the fact that we are very much into our communities and that we don't shy away from connecting and serving those who are different from us, who look different or, you know, act different or whatever. And my family belongs to the Indian ministry here at Sunrise. It's just an example Mm -hmm. of that, just recognizing that there are groups of people that God has brought all around us and just so many people that Jesus loves. And to think of ways to connect with and serve these folks and ultimately share the love of Christ with them. So how we serve and how we serve our communities, I love that very much mm. about Sunrise. Oh, thank, you. thank you. And I just appreciate how, not only with your, not only you model service by, by leading here with your talents and things like that, but just even what you just shared, how you just modeled what thing, how to honor culture as well as to, when you're going cross-culturally, to appreciate other cultures and then to, to find some place in the middle where we can appreciate all of it. So yeah. thank you for modeling that. And, and, and just as she expressed there, may, may we never lose sight. May we never get tired of meeting and greeting and inviting and celebrating people from other cultures. May we, may we always put aside the, what, what's so easy to do, which is to see church as someplace where I get my personal and relational needs met. Instead, let's see church as a place where barriers come down between peoples and cultures so that we can display to the world around us how the good news of Jesus Christ transforms individuals and heals cultures through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. 
and I hope you do as well. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, that you love us so very much. And one of the ways you love us is with your promise that you are always present with us through your spirit. And in fact, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, to the person and work of Jesus, that you promise to come live inside us, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, and then begin the work of transforming us from the inside out so that nothing can stop us and and, and that you give us this sense of exuberance in who you are and what you do. We taste of the divine so that we can't help but be fearless in the world around us. And so for those of us in here who maybe right now have lost track, because we all do, of that sense that God is in me through the person and work of Jesus, may we remember that, may we operate from that, may we be fascinated by it in such a way that we are again in touch with the joy so that we might serve and work and proclaim and be witnesses of Jesus through the power of that spirit. Pray believing Jesus in your name. Amen.